comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, guys. I'm home. Everyone knows that it's Dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
But you, if you are able, guard your own son, go to Olympus and make prayer to Zeus, if ever you have gladdened his heart by word or deed. For often I have heard you glorying in the halls of my father, and declaring that you alone among the immortals warded off shameful ruin from the son of Kronos, lord of the dark clouds, on the day when the other Olympians wished to put him in bonds. Even Hera and Poseidon and Pallas Athena, but you came, goddess, and freed him from his bonds, when you had quickly called to high Olympus him of the hundred hands, whom the gods call Briarius, but all men call Aegeon, for he is mightier than his father. He sat down by the side of the son of Kronos, exulting in his glory, and the blessed gods were seized with fear of him, and did not bind Zeus." Bring this now to his remembrance, and sit by his side and clasp his knees, in hope that he might perhaps wish to succor the Trojans, and for those others the Achaeans, to pen them in among the sterns of their ships and around the sea as they are slain, so that they might all have profit of their king, and that the son of Atreus, wide-ruling Agamemnon, may know his blindness, in that he did no honor to the best of the Achaeans. Oh, hi, hello there. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am that host of yours, Liv. <laughs> well, the Thesmophoriadzusai is finished, and I could not possibly be more thankful for that. I want to once again emphasize how good my conversation episodes are on the play, and how much they help with the understanding and appreciation in a way that my narrative episodes really don't. I really struggled with those more than I ever have before, and frankly, I feel like uh, this is about them. Uh, it's just already, it's about them. So no, we're moving on today with something that I know I can actually do well. And well, it's still Women's History Month, and thank fuck for that. I'm here to make up for deigning to cover that fucking play for Women's History Month. So today we're talking about one particular woman from the Trojan War, a woman that I did not talk enough about back in those early episodes, because back then I didn't really have a good grasp on her as a goddess in her own right, and how to research her beyond the sources that I knew. And gods, I just, I didn't have a good grasp on the mythology broadly. And thus, now she, she deserves more, and we are here to give it to her. Thetis. Thetis, the goddess most famously known as Achilles' mother, but who deserves to have her story told outside of her relationship with her son, as much as that is possible. He may be her most famous accomplishment, but there is a whole lot more to this Nereid sea goddess. Also, in an effort to make up for those Thesmo episodes, I decided I wanted to release a couple of bonus episodes, episodes re-airing two of my favorite episodes dedicated to the misunderstood women of Greek mythology. So tomorrow you can listen to past episodes that'll be re-airing the ones on the most misunderstood woman of Greek myth, 
Pandora. And then next Wednesday, you can listen to an episode from Women's History Month two years ago on many of the women that are sort of wronged by mythology and the interpretation of it in the, you know, intervening 2000 years or so. (laughs) Women like Jocasta and Clytemnestra and Helen and Medea, just women of myth broadly. Not only that, but I've linked to a Spotify playlist in this episode's description, and it contains lots and lots of fascinating women-centered episodes that I've done over the years, all for you to binge. Because women of myth are fascinating, and they are also the entire reason that I am here speaking into your ears. And also in next week's new episode, I'm going to talk about the very real women of the ancient world, whatever I was able to learn and share with you from the sources I have access to. But rest assured, I am always looking for more. There is going to be always new things to talk about when it comes to ladies. (laughs) Thank gods. Because as much as Aristophanes would like you to believe otherwise, the women of the ancient world and their mythologies were complex and interesting. They were flawed and fascinating. They were just as worth hearing from as the men, if not more so. This is episode 203, so much more than just Achilles' mother, the strong-willed savior, Thetis. sometimes gets a bad rap, and I'll admit, I'm guilty of it. She's a complex woman, a woman possessed by her love for her son, driven to do whatever is necessary to help him. But she's also a goddess, a nereid, and a woman who lived a whole life outside of her love for Achilles. So while it's impossible to talk about Thetis and not mention him, today we're going to try to look at her beyond Achilles as much as is possible. Unlike many of the very earliest characters from Greek myth, Thetis and her origins appear to span both the Homeric epics and Hesiod's Theogony, which is kind of rare. In both, she is a Nereid, a daughter of Nereus, the old man of the sea, and Doris, who is a sea goddess. And in both, she marries Peleus, and in both, she is the mother of Achilles. I say this specifically because unlike someone like Aphrodite even, who has two different stories of parentage and whose marriage to Hephaestus does not remain constant between these two eldest surviving sources, Thetis and her story is, like, steady across the two in an interesting way. The Nereids, too, are an interesting group. They're goddesses, and they're nymphs. They're of the sea, but they aren't fishy in any way, unlike many of the men of the sea. They can cross between those worlds. They can, like Thetis, marry mortals, even if also like Thetis, they might not have much of a desire to. So Thetis is given in marriage to the hero Peleus. It's said that she was gifted to him, according to some, because he um, chose not to assault a woman. So good for him, you know? We should really reward the absolute bare minimum in men. It does them well. (laughs) Thetis is given to Peleus in marriage, and their wedding, as you might recall, their wedding was particularly eventful. But before we get to her time with Peleus, I want to look at all the other things that Thetis did, because she did a whole lot more than just give birth to Achilles. Namely, there was the time that she saved Zeus's life. You can listen to the episode I did dedicated to Hera a year or so ago for further details, because it's really all about Hera, this story. But in the end, the story goes that Hera attempts to imprison Zeus with the help of a number of Olympians. 
They seek to basically hold a coup against Zeus for power on Olympus. They've decided that they're over Zeus's shit and they're going to do something about it. And they do. And they succeed pretty well. But then comes Thetis. She finds what they've done to the king of the gods. And she knows that, well, she may not care about him, but she could get something out of saving him. So she summons Briarius Aegeon, one of the fucking Hecatonchires, my favorite thing in, in the whole of Greek myth, mostly just because I love the word. She summons Briarius to free Zeus from his constraints and puts those Olympians in their place. Most importantly, though, this means that Zeus owes her. And that's how we get this story in the section that I read at the top of the episode from the Iliad. Thetis is reminded of this moment, and this is where the story comes from. And she is told to go speak to Zeus, to plead with him to help Achilles. And she does all of this by reminding him of the time she saved his ass. And that maybe he kind of owes her one. But Zeus is not the only god that Thetis helped or even saved fully. She's just, she's kind of a badass, even if she is uh, also sometimes a, a really obnoxious mother. See, she also saved Hephaestus. And once again, this story is told in more detail in my episodes on Hephaestus himself from a couple of years ago. But today's about Thetis. So when Hephaestus was thrown from Mount Olympus shortly after he was born by either Zeus or Hera, depending on what source you read... He falls to the island of Lemnos, where he is found by our girl, Thetis, and another nymph named Eurynome. Together, they raise him from a baby. They teach him everything he knows, including how to be a metalsmith, like the thing that he knows. Thetis is the one who makes Hephaestus into the incredible god of the forge that he is. And so he, too, feels like he owes her. It's also in the Iliad that we hear this story in the most detail when Hephaestus explains why he respects and loves Thetis quite so much and ultimately why he is willing to make her son, Achilles, the most badass of armor when it comes down to it. And then there was the time that she saved Dionysus. Seriously, Thetis is kind of amazing, and also I think that she's just seriously smart, and she sees all the opportunities for the gods to owe her favors. The woman knows how to play the Olympian game like no other. See, there was a time when Dionysus was being pursued by a man named Lycurgus. The whole story is fit for another time. Gods know that we are not done with the stories of Dionysus. He has so many. I've only scratched the surface. But once again, as told in the Iliad, when laying out these impressive feats of Thetis, we learn that Dionysus and his followers were being pursued by this man, Lycurgus. No relation to the Spartan Lycurgus. Don't get confused. And Dionysus himself is forced to flee into the sea in order to get away. And there, he's found by Thetis, comforted and kept safe by her. And so, yes, yet another Olympian god owes Thetis for her kindness. According to one poet named Stesichorus, whose work is sadly mostly lost, it's even Dionysus who, in thanks, 
gifts Thetis with an urn, an amphora, which she will then gift to Achilles, and which will eventually become the urn that both Achilles and Patroclus's remains are mixed so that they could be together forever. And with that mention of Achilles, we are led to that God's damned husband of hers. The so-called hero, Peleus, is, well, he's very meh. He's interesting in that he is, like, not at all interesting. And yet he's the husband of Thetis and the father of Achilles. On his own, though, from what I can see, he's done very, very little. Or rather, he's done very little good. (laughs) See, the TLDR on Peleus is that he was the son of Iacchus, uh, the king of this tiny island off the coast of Attica, Aegina. His minimal exploits earlier in life involve him marrying at least two other women with no explanations on what happens to them to allow him to then just marry another one. (laughs) He accidentally kills a couple of men requiring purification, and he has at least one daughter by one of these women. There's another, a married woman, who seems to fall in love with him, and then he doesn't return her love, and she accuses him of assault. It's a whole thing. Frankly, Peleus' story is messy, it's lacking in details, and generally it's just um, pretty boring. He is, however, known to be one of the most uh, virtuous men of myth, according to his nicknames, but I often think they make up these sorts of declarations without actually looking at the actions of the men. So, So here we are. What Peleus, though, is most famous for is just being one of the Argonauts, traveling with Jason and the others in search of that golden fleece. But that's all after he's been married to Thetis. As I mentioned, sometimes Thetis is given to him because he didn't assault a woman. This would be the woman who accused him of it. But the much more famous reason that Thetis is given to Peleus to marry is thankfully far more kind to Thetis, or at least it kind of makes her look good, like the fucking incredible goddess that she is. According to Pindar, the goddess Themis, titan goddess of order and law, foretells that Thetis will bear a son that will be much, much more powerful than his father. Before this was foretold, actually, both Zeus and Poseidon were apparently lusting after Thetis and looking to marry her. And no, there's no indication of where this falls in the timeline, given they both have wives of their own. Still, they were both after her, seeing in her the power that she holds, for a nereid, she was very much on their level, and they were going for it. Until, obviously, the men saw this threat in her. And then it was all over. As soon as this prophecy becomes known, they both were immediately threatened by Thetis's potential for power, and so instead they intentionally tie her to a mortal man so that whoever her son does end up being He could only end up more powerful than the mortal Peleus and not the Olympian gods. The point, though, at least in the eyes of Thetis, the woman actually dealing with all of this bullshit, is that she's just, like, given to Peleus. And it's pretty damned clear that she doesn't want to marry him at all. She knows she's better than him, more impressive, more powerful. She's a fucking goddess. She is destined for something better. 
And she doesn't give in to the marriage easily either. She puts up a fight. Literally. According to some versions of their story, he literally fights Thetis in order to force her to marry him. Peleus wrestles, wrestles Thetis until he dominates her and then she has to marry him. It's lovely. I know. But what it does do is introduce a specific type of power to Thetis. So Thetis is the daughter of Nereus, the old man of the sea. And many of the sea gods have very unique abilities. They can transform themselves into any and everything. And they often do it when they're being fought, when they're being wrestled by a hero. This is done through people like Triton, the son of Poseidon, who wrestles Heracles, often in so many different pieces of artwork. It happens with Nereus and sometimes river gods, too. They transform themselves into other beings, like slithery and writhing beings, over and over, just constant transformations, keeping their opponents from getting too tight a grasp on them. But since they're all always wrestling so-called heroes... They also all lose in the end, including Thetis. She fights Peleus, transforms with all that she's got. But in the end, he wins. She marries him. And then there's the wedding itself. You know, the one that prompts the entire Trojan War. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, guys. I'm home. Everyone knows that it's Dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Once more, I've gone into this bit of Thetis's story in more detail in my lead-up to the Trojan War episodes. Because, well, the wedding of Peleus and Thetis isn't so much famous for being about Peleus and Thetis, but being the place where the whole mess begins. All the gods of Olympus and beyond are invited to this wedding. It's one of only two times that this happens. The other is the wedding of Cadmus and Harmonia. And theirs ends far less dramatically than this one. Because this one pops off. <laughs> First, though, the details of who actually attends the, the wedding itself are pretty fun, mostly because they appear in a lot of pottery depictions. So according to some, we have like an entire list of the procession of gods that attend this wedding. Iris, the, the messenger goddess and rainbow goddess of the Homeric tradition, she begins this procession. She's followed by Hestia, Demeter, Chariclo, Leto, and Dionysus. And other representations of it show it beginning with Chiron, the, the good centaur, who goes on to very famously train Thetis's son, Achilles. The others who attend are, are people like Zeus and Hera, Poseidon and Amphitrite, Ares and Aphrodite. All of the muses, the three fates, even Oceanus and his fishy tail. Hephaestus attends riding a donkey, as one does. He often attends things riding a donkey. It's really cute. <laughs> and Nereus, Thetis's father, is there, along with her mother Doris. Apollo and Artemis are there, and Hermes. And others, I'm sure, were thought to be in attendance. This is just a list from a couple of different pieces of pottery. <sighs> The point, of course, is that it is a big fucking deal, this wedding, and most, if not all but one, of the gods are there to celebrate Thetis and Peleus. 
though it's unlikely that Thetis was doing much celebrating herself. There is, though, one notable face missing from the gods in attendance. (gasps) Yes, that's right. You remember, because she's the fucking best. It's Eris, the goddess of strife and discord, friend of Ares, woman who screams for bloodshed on the battlefield, all around awesome and dark lady is very intentionally not invited to this wedding. And it goes well and nothing bad happens at all. Everyone ends with that good old happy ending. That's not, that's not true. Eris does not love being snubbed from this wedding because she's fucking Eris. I would imagine she'd be pissed off no matter what, too. Like, if she was invited, she'd be insulted because they weren't too afraid of her to leave her off the guest list. And because she wasn't invited, she's insulted that she's left off the guest list. (laughs) She just wants to fuck shit up. That's quite literally her one and only job amongst the pantheon of gods. Just cause strife. Fuck shit up. And fuck shit up, she does. Eris brings that golden apple with the words T. Calisti inscribed upon it. For the fairest. She tosses that live grenade towards three Olympian goddesses who are standing all together and... Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite all go after that thing because a golden apple is absolutely proof of one's beauty. You remember how all of this goes down, right? Because as much as I always want everything to be about Eris, regardless of the fact that there are basically no stories of her beyond this one, this episode is, in fact about Thetis. So long story short, Aphrodite is selected when the question is put to the young Trojan shepherd named Paris, and he is told to just take this nice lady named Helen from Sparta. She's his now, you know, no matter what. I think you know the rest. Thetis, meanwhile, the topic of today's episode, goes on with her new marriage to Peleus, unaware of what is to come, the war that will, a couple of decades down the line, take her son from her. Before that can happen, she's got to have the kid, you know, and do a couple very important things. So Peleus and Thetis begin their not-at-all-happy marriage and their life together. And before long, they have a son. They name him Achilles. Thetis is famous for one particular thing when it comes to Achilles. That is, beyond just generally helping him during the war. She's famous for how exactly she worked to make Achilles immortal, or rather invulnerable, to an extent. And what's fascinating about this story is that the one we all think we know about how Achilles became Achilles is not particularly Greek. At least, what survives of it. So the most famous means that Thetis uses to make her son invulnerable, the the story we all know, and I think certainly the story that I probably told when I first covered Achilles in the Trojan War, it's the one that gets referenced in pop culture, just anywhere, all the time. This idea that she held him by the ankle and dipped him into water, either a boiling cauldron in her home or the river sticks itself. It's said that she dipped him into that river, the water, holding him by that ankle, 
And in doing so, she made all of his body invulnerable, except that little bit of ankle that she held onto, that Achilles heel. And that story is fitting. Like, it works. It explains how Achilles can be killed so easily with a hit to the ankle. But even that bit of the story, the ankle itself, does not survive in the Greek sources. No matter where she dipped him, the sticks or otherwise, that bit does not survive in ancient Greek sources. And actually, the versions of this moment that survive in ancient Greek sources, both those from around the time of the Iliad and later, have nothing to do with the sticks and little to do with dipping him in any liquid at all. Instead, they mirror another story. The most ancient surviving sources for this moment have Thetis actually using fire on Achilles, placing the baby in a roaring fire in order to make him invulnerable, immortal even. This is the same thing that Demeter does to the baby Demophoon in the Homeric hymn to Demeter. Those moments where she's searching for her daughter, she befriends mortals, wishing to make their son immortal. And just like with the story of Demeter, Thetis is interrupted whilst the baby is in the fire. She's a goddess. She knows what she's doing. She knows how to do this without harming her son. But her husband, Peleus, does not know this, or he doesn't believe it, or he just doesn't understand his wife and her powers. Whatever the reason, Peleus comes upon Thetis, having placed their newborn baby in a roaring fire, and he flips his shit, and he has her remove Achilles prematurely. Interestingly, the sources that we have for this don't actually relate this moment to anything about Achilles' eventual death, but we can infer that they're connected. But even his death is is just like the story of the Styx. The only surviving sources that actually detail Achilles' death come from the Roman period. A man named Quintus Smyrnaeus who wrote the epic Fall of Troy. It's believed that this epic was probably based on an ancient Greek epic that is lost, but we can't actually be entirely certain of that, nor can we be sure that the details would have been the same. This is true for so many of the most famous moments from the Trojan War. The Trojan horse, Achilles' death, the sack of Troy itself. All of these moments do not survive in Greek sources, but instead only Roman. And as always, the intricacies of sources and what we do and do not have from the ancient world is what fascinates me most, and I go on about it too long. The Trojan War is the perfect example of it. Still, what we are interested in today is Thetis. Whatever she does to Achilles is meant to help him, but she's caught you know, by Peleus and forced to stop it. It also seems that this moment, this revelation that her husband does not trust her, does not just understand her even remotely, might be the catalyst for another of her most badass moments. According to some sources, Thetis just like leaves Peleus. She leaves her husband because he fucked with her and because she just didn't want to be with him. That alone is fucking enormous in the mythology. It is not something that happens often. It's not explicitly told either because they couldn't even go that far. There are just references to her not being there, to her living in the sea amongst her father and sisters when she should ostensibly be married and staying with her husband. But instead, she's just off doing whatever the fuck she wants. We have no story of her actively choosing to leave him, of her determining this, essentially like this idea of actually ending her marriage. 
But fuck if we can't assume that that's what she does. She's treated poorly by her husband, and that simply isn't something that she's willing to put up with. She's a goddess, after all, and he's a human. She is the one that holds the power, regardless of the fact that Zeus and Poseidon explicitly placed her in a marriage to tamp down her power, to lessen her power and impact. And of course, they're not threatened because Achilles has already been born. All of that shit's already gone down. So if she just leaves her husband and goes and lives off in the sea, all the power to her. That Thetis is not living with Peleus, though, is obvious during the Trojan War. She's in the sea when Achilles visits her. She returns to the sea after she's spoken with Zeus. She returns and visits with her sisters and her father. She is a woman who got to choose where she wanted to live and with whom. I fucking love her. And that she doesn't stay for Achilles, too. I think really says something about her as a woman and the agency that she has and that she holds on to for dear life. She probably wishes she could be with her son. That she's devoted to him as a mother is clear from the Iliad. But she recognized that it wasn't in her best interests to stay with Peleus. And she didn't let her motherhood keep her in a bad situation. Instead, Achilles is mostly raised by Chiron, and when he's old enough, Thetis is there for him in whatever way he needs. She gets to be both Achilles' mother and a goddess who makes her own decisions. (laughs) Honestly, when I started this episode, I did not imagine falling so deeply for Thetis. But gods, she's fucking fascinating. And this is why I love picking random women and just dedicating myself to reading everything I can possibly find. Which also, I should add, includes one poet who has an anecdote that Thetis actually dropped, like, six other children of hers and Peleus's into a pot of water to see if they were immortal. Just, like, see? But actually ended up killing them all until Peleus had to put his foot down and not allow her to do it with Achilles. Is that a dark version? Sure. Is it a little funny that there's just, like, this one one bizarre little note going around like this? Also, Yes. It's just a one-off, though, really, because it's really clear from the Iliad that she only has the one child, just Achilles. I think we can safely assume that most people and poets did not see her as an inadvertent child killer. Just this one poet with, like, a chip on his shoulder, maybe. But what of Thetis as a sea goddess? So much of her story takes place on land, amongst mortals and gods, but she was ultimately this goddess of the sea, a daughter of the old man of the sea, that primordial Nereus. Nereids, broadly, are really interesting. Like I mentioned earlier, they are goddesses of the sea, and they live in the sea, but they're also very explicitly like not mermaids or even like mermaid-adjacent. In fact, there are no explicit mermaids in Greek mythology, but there are male gods that resemble them. Bottom half fish, top half human. So there are like mermen, we could call, but that does not apply to the women. I won't go too deep into this because it's something that I will be talking about in an upcoming conversation episode with returning guest, Dr. Ryan Denson, who joined me last year to talk about sea monsters. But what's even more interesting is that for all Thetis is a Nereid and one of the most important and famous of the Nereids, Most of her story takes place very much on land, and yet still, she's born to these gods of the sea, and that's where all of her goddessy powers and her control lie. It's why when she does leave Peleus, determining that she's going to take her own life into her hands and make her own decisions, that is when she returns to the sea. It's where she belongs, in those 
dark oceanic depths, determining her own fate. Oh, nerds, nerds, nerds. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so happy to be back talking about just like myths, cool ladies from myths, fun gals. I missed them. And I imagine many of you did too. Thetis is so interesting because she really features so heavily in the Iliad and the stories around it. But like so many other characters from the Homeric epics, she doesn't feature too much elsewhere. We get some background, some anecdotes about her and her husband or her as a nereid, but there's little else. And yet, in the Iliad itself, we get all of this backstory for her because that's where we learn about all the times she saved Olympian gods and just like the sheer amount that she loved her son. She's a fucking badass. We love her. Even if Achilles complaining to her all of the damn time gets to be a little much. But that is not her fault. It is her whiny son's fault. Fun fact, here on Vancouver Island, we have a lake called Thetis. For the longest time, I've wondered if there was any connection, but many places here are named for like local indigenous words and peoples. So I really just assumed it was a coincidence because I was like, why is there Greek myth uh, in the Pacific Northwest of Canada? But it turns out, no, this lake is named for a ship that came over here, colonizing shit, I'm sure. But that ship was in fact named Thetis for the Nereid goddess that we have all just now come to love with an intense level of devotion. <laughs> I grew up swimming in that lake and it just feels so right that it's named for her. But I also always wanted to call her Thetis, even though we called the lake Thetis because I felt the need to differentiate. But now I've had to remind myself that according to the ancient Greek, I really do think it should be Thetis. Anyway, I'm losing you. I can feel it. No more deeply niche pronunciation tangents. Um, this has been a free and loose episode post-death uh, before I add to say. Took it out of me. Thank you all so much for listening. I am really so happy just to be back doing myth and ladies at that. Uh, I'm, I'm working up some more in-depth storytelling that are going to be coming soon. We're going to go right back to the roots. But also in writing this episode, I discovered that uh, a book that I'd heard about actually in a past conversation with guest David S. Wright, all dedicated to Thetis, doesn't come out until next month. So you, we might just have to have another episode on her in the future. Poor us. As always, though, let's end this with a five-star review from one of you amazing listeners. Consider leaving me one, wouldn't you? I love it. And also, you could have your review read on an episode where I get all happy and read your review. We all win! This one comes from a user named AscarsAddict01 in Australia. Best Greek myth podcast ever. I've only recently found this gem of a podcast, but I am addicted now. Liv has such an engaging personality that makes her storytelling compelling, and I love all the sassy remarks. I'm currently listening to all the episodes from the very beginning. So many great episodes, but I particularly enjoyed the episodes on Lysistrata. Thank you for all the work you do, Liv. Thank you, you lovely human. I realize I did not intentionally pick one that references an Aristophanes episode I've done, but gods, at least that one was better. <laughs> Let's Talk About Myths, baby, is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians and handles so many podcast-related things, from running the YouTube to creating promotional images and videos to editing and research. Stephanie Foley works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized 
by iHeartMedia. Help me continue bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron, where you'll get bonus episodes and more. Visit patreon.com slash mythsbaby or click the link in this episode's description. Thank you all for listening. Always. You are the coolest. I am Liv. I love this shit very much, particularly now that I don't have to think about Aristophanes maybe even ever again. That guy. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry, I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. 
Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.